We've only made it to Acts chapter 16. And uh, for those of you, because we've spent the last couple of weeks in Acts chapter 16, if you were hoping to get to Acts chapter 17 today, I'm sorry to disappoint you. But we're we're going we're gonna to spend a little more time in Acts chapter 16 because it's one of those chapters where so much is happening that we're going we're gonna to double back, actually, and we're going to pick up a, a verse that we've covered now for three weeks uh, about we're going to start with Lydia and pick up two other stories because these are stories of hope. Each week we've been looking at how the Holy Spirit has worked in the life of the church and it encourages us. It empowers us to live our Christian faith right here where we are. So let me invite you to turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 16. In fact, we've been in Acts chapter 16 enough. You might have, if you had an actual real-life Bible, you would have one of those creases. So you just lay the Bible on the table open and open to Acts chapter 16. But we're electronic these days. Um, I'm going to start, though, with verse 13 in Acts chapter 16. And uh, the word of the Lord says this. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river, where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyteria named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, <laughs> it's okay. It's tempting over there. That orange one grabs my attention too. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. Once we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed with that he turned around and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, the spirit left her. When her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer, who was commanded to guard them carefully, when he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight... Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. 
The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, Don't harm yourself. We are all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to them and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds then immediately he and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and sat a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. Three powerful stories of hope from Acts. Lydia, we read, is the first example of hope. Uh, Paul he meets Lydia, and we know that Lydia was actually the first convert in Europe. So when we look at European Christianity, we can thank Lydia had a part in that because she opened her life to the, to the work of God. And there are two things we need to know about Lydia. First is that Lydia was, she was wealthy. She was a dealer in purple cloth, and if you dealt with purple cloth, uh, it was the cryptocurrency of the day. It was the, it was the style. It was the thing to be in. And because she dealt with purple, she had a great industry. She was the CEO of her company. Uh, if she lived here in Hungary, she would have a house on the Balaton. She, she had it all put together. Uh, so that's one thing we need to know. And the other thing we need to know is that she was religious. Uh, scripture says that she was a worshiper of God. It's really a, what that means. It's a technical term for a Gentile who was curious about God. And so they would read the Hebrew Bible. They would discern and try to figure out how to, to serve God from the Hebrew. And they would, they would live that way, trying to please God from what they understood. And, and so when Paul, when he went down to the river to this prayer meeting, it would have been like a worship service. They were praying. Actually, I shared with you, we were at this river. It's a beautiful place, but there they were reading the Bible and, and prayers were being offered. And the Bible says that the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. Now, it's not too hard to imagine how this happened because we sort of have a picture already from the book of Acts. But Lydia is, is reading the, the old, well, they didn't read like that. They read like this. We're reading the, the Old Testament passages and, and she would have, Paul would have seen that and Paul would have come to her and said, Lydia, tell me what you're reading. And Lydia said, well, I've been, I've been reading about Abraham and the promise that was given to Abraham. And, and he got this promise. It was a great promise. And then Moses came along and he, he went up on the mountain. He got the law. And so there's the promise and then the law. And then we read really later in Leviticus, we read about the, the sacrifices that were required. And so I'm reading about the, the promise and the law and the sacrifices. It's, it's confusing. And, and Paul would have said, he would say, let me tell you the key the key to understanding it all, the key is Jesus. And then he would have explained that Jesus is actually the promise that God has been giving from the very beginning. That Jesus actually makes it possible to follow the law only in Jesus in that Jesus is in fact the perfect sacrifice. Jesus is the key to understanding it all. And at that moment, it would have clicked for her. She would have said, 
wow, I get it. It's, it is so important for us to know this because here is the truth we see. The truth is, the gospel doesn't make people religious. Religious people need the gospel. Let me say that again. The gospel does not make people religious. Religious people need the gospel. Lydia was religious. She, and she needed the gospel. And here's why. Because religion is outside looking in. It's, it, religion says this, if I obey the Lord, if I obey the law, if I live in a right way, then God will bless me. But, but Christianity is different because instead of being outside in, it's inside out. It's knowing that God through Christ completely loves and blesses me. Therefore, I want to please him. I want to live obediently. You see, the problem with religion is that God becomes useful. God becomes useful. The, the thinking behind it is, if I'm good enough, if I, if I go to church enough, if I read the Bible enough, if I pray enough, if I give enough, if I serve enough, 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 then God will give me what I want. God will answer my prayers. God will bless me. God will heal me. And, and the, the thinking behind it is, is somehow that if I'm good enough, God, God is somehow obligated to come through for me. A lot of people think that if you're religious, you can be a good person. And in fact, there are a few ways you can be good, a good person. One of the easiest ways is, is to have a name that's good. You know, I, I have to relate to this because uh, people will say, are you, are you really good? My name is John Good. And I say, well, it, it runs in the family. <laughs> of course I'm good. It's John Good. I'm good, John. Uh, but I know I'm really going to surprise you this morning that when I say this, and family, you don't count. Uh, I'm not always good, okay? Uh, I'm not good. I'm not that good. You can't be good. I can't be good always. I try because I want to. But you can't be, and that's the truth of religion as well. You just can't be good enough, even if your name is good. You can't do it. It's impossible to be good enough. Any attempt to be good is an attempt to use God for our purposes. And that's why Lydia's conversion is such a story of hope. Because let's be honest, we, we struggle with religion. In fact, the bulk of Paul's letters to the churches are really to religious people who are struggling with their religiousness. Paul is trying to encourage people to break free from religion, get into relationship. Religion or relationship, relationship is what matters. A lot of people in this world are trapped in religion. Some of it's, some of it's even called Christianity. But yet... God is working at softening and opening the hearts of people. We see it here with Lydia. That is a story of hope. There's hope. If there's hope for Lydia, there's hope for us. The second story of hope is a story of a female slave. This is interesting because she's almost the exact opposite of Lydia. Lydia was wealthy, had a, had a company. She had everything under control. Well, the female slave is the opposite of wealthy. She's poor. In fact, she's so poor, she's a slave. She has, she has nothing, and she has no control over anything. She doesn't control her breakfast. She doesn't control her schedule. She doesn't control her relationship. She controls nothing. And, and secondly, another way they're opposite is Lydia was, of course, was moral. She was good. She was religious. But, but 
the slave, the female slave, is she's not moral. She's, in fact, she's, she's not religious because she's possessed by a demon. She's almost spiritually the exact opposite. She couldn't manage her life. She couldn't control. She's an example of what we say, the least, the lost, and the left behind. People and cultures who are pushed to the bottom of the cultural ladder. This is her. This is the female slave. Yet, the female slave in this story represents the moment or the moments in our life when we are so far from a right relationship with God. You know what I'm talking about. There's, that's the story of a lot of people. We've all, in fact, we've had that story and we may be in that story right now. A moment where we are far from a right relationship with Jesus. You know, uh, we see this throughout the Bible, though. This is the common story. In fact, I saw a poster a while back that listed just how bad people in the Bible really are and, and how far from God they really, they really were. Think about it. I got a list here. Help me out with the list. Noah was drunk. Was drunk. Abraham was too old. Jacob was a liar. Moses was a murderer. Gideon was afraid. Rahab was a prostitute. David wasn't, he gets two, was an adulterer and a murderer. Elijah was suicidal. Jonah ran away from God. John the Baptist ate bugs. How bad is that? <laughs> Peter denied Jesus. Disciples couldn't stay awake while they were praying. The Samaritan woman had divorced five times. Zacchaeus was too small. Paul was set out to persecute Christians, and Lazarus was dead. Talk about an excuse. No excuses. There's no boundary. We should add our name to that list, shouldn't we? How many ways do we fall short? And so the female slave in this story represents the moment or the moments in our life where we are far from a right relationship with Jesus. And the interesting thing about the female slave is she actually knew the truth. She kept saying, these men are servants of the Most High God. It was the demon. It was the spirit in her saying this. The, these men are the servants of the Most High God. These men are the servants of the Most High God. It, it got so bad that it, it drove Paul nuts. He, he couldn't handle it anymore. It was, stop saying it. Stop saying it. Finally, finally, he says, he, he looks at her. He says, I can't handle it anymore. In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you out of her. And at that moment, the spirit left her. I mean, it pays to annoy the apostle Paul. But it's such a powerful moment in this story because it shows, it shows that God loves so deeply and so completely. God is willing to do a powerful moment even in the midst, in the midst of annoying the Apostle Paul. And that is consistent throughout the Bible. This is the consistent character of God. That God will do the extreme thing. He will go the far distance. It's the same God who left the 99 sheep to go get the one who was lost. It's the same God who, who went to the cross and suffered on our behalf with the weight of the world of sin so that we could have a relationship that's right with God. The same God who, after his crucifixion and resurrection, got up and made breakfast for the disciples. Think about that, Ishvan, for men's breakfast. Jesus did that too. He made breakfast for the disciples. They were trying to escape uh, and, and he invited them back and Peter was in that group and you know Peter had denied Jesus three times so he's got the fish breakfast and, and uh, 
Three times he asked Peter, do you love me? Because it's Jesus' way of reaching even to Peter to set him back on mission. You see, this is the good news of the gospel for every person. It's a story of hope. Never underestimate how far God is willing to reach for you. Never underestimate the power of Jesus to transform something in your life meant for death into something that brings life. A pastor by the name of Philip Griffin tells about the day his church was planning a, a baptism for some 30 people. They didn't have a, a baptistry. Like next week, we're going to go to Sapanosh. They have a baptistry, but we don't have a, a baptistry here. Uh, so a lot of churches don't actually have a baptistry. So what they do is they bring in, a, and I've done this before, bring in a swimming pool and uh, fill it up with water and baptize. So the plan was to bring in a swimming pool and fill it up with water so they could baptize people. And, but they got there that morning, and whoever's job it was, they forgot to bring the hose, the garden hose. So they couldn't fill it up with water. So pastor's like, well, I'm going to run out to the hardware store and pick up the hose. So he, he starts walking out of the church, and, and somebody grabs him. A man, he didn't recognize the man. He says, Pastor, I need to talk to you. And, he, and the pastor tried to walk, oh, I didn't see you, you know, trying to get to the hardware store. I only got so much time. But the man kept asking, I need to talk to you. And so he says, okay, let's, let's talk. And they go into the pastor's office. And, and the man, he sits down and immediately he gets serious. He says, I want to know if this is for real. And it was actually an appropriate question because the series the church had been preaching and teaching about was the realness of the power of the gospel. Each week they've been talking about how real God's power is in our lives, how really it changes us, how real Jesus is today and in this moment. And so the pastor said, absolutely, this is real. Jesus is real. And the man opened up with that. He said, well, I, I want to be honest with you. I've been struggling. I've been struggling with homosexuality in my life. I, I've, been, I've, been living, uh, uh, I've been living it. I've been in and out of relationships. And I understand what the Bible says, but I want to know, is it real? Is Jesus really real? Can he change my life? Because I'm, I'm struggling. I, I feel like I, I've got nothing, no control in my life. I'm losing the battle. Can Jesus help me? Well, with that, you can imagine the pastor and this man had a conversation about the power of Jesus to change our lives. This man learned who Jesus was and in that moment gave his life to, to trusting Jesus. He, in that moment, experienced the power of Jesus in the most difficult moments of life. When the conversation had ended and the, the guy was about ready to leave, he says, oh yeah, pastor, I want to tell you one more thing. On my way to church this morning, I had I had planned to, I'd, I'd planned to end my life. I had planned to do, to commit suicide. The pastor said, well, I mean, did you, do you have a plan for it? Did you, what did you, what were you thinking? And the man says, why? I stopped at the store on the way and I, I bought some duct tape and I bought, I bought a hose and I was going to tape the, the hose to the muffler of the car and put it in the window and just drive until my life ended. But now, now Jesus has a plan for my life. Well, the pastor smiled because not only did he, he realize that this man really did understand the power of the gospel, but he also found the hose. It was in the guy's car. Let me tell you that morning, the church rejoiced over the redemption 
the power of Jesus to take that which was meant for death and transform it into something meant for life. That is the power of the gospel, my friends. He can change everything. That's the living hope. Never underestimate the power of Jesus to change that in your life which is causing you death to something which will bring life in and through you. That's the good news of the gospel for every person. And so there's one more story of hope in this passage. Oh, it's a guy this time. Fellas, finally got a guy. The other two stories have been about the ladies, but God cares about guys too. It's funny. This, is, this man, he's the, he's, he's the jailer who's impacted by the power of the gospel. The jailer in this story was almost certainly a former Roman soldier because when you served in the Roman military, you would get a, a perk after you retired or you're too old to fight anymore. You'd get a, 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 a prison guard. or I, They didn't have the, the, post, uh, the post office jobs, but you'd get a government job. And so, so the man had a, had a government job. He, not a particularly successful. He wasn't like Lydia, who really had made a success of her life. And he wasn't like the female slave either, who really had nothing going for her life. He had a, a good job, a decent job. He, he's a very practical person, not emotional, not intellectual, and not interested in spiritual things. But of all these stories, he's the one who's not seeking anything spiritual at all. He has no spiritual interest, nor is he a very good person or a very bad person. He is just a regular guy. It's important to notice that Paul brings the gospel to Lydia. Paul brings the gospel power to the female slave, but he doesn't bring the gospel to the jailer. Instead, the jailer comes to Paul for the gospel. Why? Because you don't just tell the gospel to somebody who isn't interested. You show, and then you tell the gospel to someone who isn't interested. Do you see that? You don't just tell someone the gospel if they're not interested. You show first, and then tell the gospel to someone who's not interested. This man was the jailer. He receives, he receives two prisoners, and they're all, they're all beaten up. Actually, it's severely beaten up, because it says with rods. I mean, you can imagine what that was because it was that. I mean, they got blood. I won't, I won't paint the picture for you this morning. But you can imagine how badly they were at the, the, the brink of death. They were that bad. And notice at the end, after, after he has the experience, he binds up their wounds and, and he takes care of them and he fixes them up. But not at first. At first, he shows no concern for them. He throws them into prison. He is absolutely callous. But yet, how do they respond to him? That's the question. That's where we see the show and display of the gospel power. The first thing is actually their attitude towards suffering. Now remember, Paul and Silas, they're, they're at the brink of death. I, I don't know how they're even singing, uh, but they are. Verse 25 says, About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. That alone 
says so much about the power of the gospel in our lives. They had such a joy, such a deep joy, that when you took away their money, you took away their freedom, you took away their comfort, and, and even put them at a place where they are almost dead, the joy was still there. You see, that's why the character of the Christian community is so much more important than anything else. That's why, that's why we, we are a community. We're not a building. That's why we're not. I mean, we're, we're praying about God leading us to the next place. But the place is not as important as who we are as a community. That we are church. You know, we, we, when the, the vision for this ministry came together. And Sylvia, I'm so glad to see you because you were part of that vision process. We visioned a community where the gospel would be shared, where relationships would be authentic, where 1 Corinthians chapter 13 would permeate the relationships, where there would be a love, a joy, a hope that's simply contagious. The power of the community always trumps the place or the building. It's so exciting. They saw the joy. And the second thing they saw the jailer had never seen anything like this. It was the earthquake. How are you going to miss the earthquake, right? Of course, because of the earthquake, all the, the doors opened, all the prisoners were set free. Uh, if you were a guard, that's terrible news for you because you had one job as a job, as a guard. The one job was to keep the prisoners in prison. And this earthquake came along and messed everything up. And, and so... There was really only one option for this jailer. He was going to kill himself because it, it was at least a humane way because he would have been killed publicly in humility. That was the undisputed result of escaped prisoners. Paul and Silas knew this. And once the doors flew open, they escaped. They said, oh, we deserve freedom. The Lord has saved us. That's what they said, right? No, that's not what they said. Well, they also knew that it, if, even if they stayed, if the others escaped, even if one single person escaped, that the, the jailer's life would be, he'd be killed. His life would be ended. And so how did they do it? How did they talk all the other prisoners into sticking around? That's the power of the gospel right there. I mean, prisoners who've been, you know, a chance to run and free. I mean, I never really spent a lot of time in prison, at least on that side of the, of the bars. I've been on the other side. But I'd imagine if the doors are open, you want to go, you might want to go. But somehow, and with the work of the Holy Spirit, the power of the gospel held everybody still. That's powerful. Paul and Silas repaid evil from this, even this jailer, with good. The jailer had never seen the power of the Christian community at work. He was so moved by the power of the gospel so much so that he rushes in. He is finally moved. He's finally interested in something spiritual. He rushes in and he asks that question, what must I do to be saved? The jailer had no idea what had just happened in his life. He'd never seen such integrity. He'd never seen such power. So Paul and Silas share the gospel message. They say, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. The jailer's entire household is touched and changed by the power of the gospel. My friends, these are great stories of hope. And, and I don't know how you're feeling today, but I know this. The good news of the gospel is for everyone. 
And maybe, maybe you're struggling with a religion thing. Maybe you're, you feel like if you just get to church enough, you'll be okay. Or if you, you can just get that daily devotion down every day, you know, five verses every day, you'll be all right. Or maybe, maybe you've been burnt. What's more likely is you've been burnt by religion. You know, it's, it's, you've tried that road and you know it goes nowhere. Well, my friends, the gospel has good news for you because the gospel, it won't make you religious. But, the, but, but religion, you do, in religion, you do need the gospel. You need the power of Jesus to set you free. And it only comes, grace and, and salvation only come from Jesus. You don't earn it. You just trust and you accept it. Well, maybe it's not religion that you're struggling with. Maybe, maybe it's that other kind of power where maybe your you, life circumstances are, are weighing on you and you feel, for whatever reason, far, too far from the right kind of relationship you know Jesus is calling you to. And you can see the truth. You can see it, but you just need that power. You just need a display of the gospel in your life to know that Jesus will save you no matter how far you are, no matter what struggle you're in, no, no, no matter what addiction you have, the Lord can break the chains and set you free. And that's what he wants to do. And finally, this is for the rest of us. And finally, maybe you feel like your life is okay. You're doing all right. Well, guess what? You need the gospel too. Because you're not really all right without the gospel. You, you're not. And, and one of these days you're going to see that the Lord is not going to give up on you that the Lord is reaching for you. He's, he's stretching his arms so far for you right now and in this moment. And one day you will see it. You will see the grace. You will see him in his relentless, far-reaching love and grace in your life. My friends, the gospel is good news for everyone. Let us pray. Lord, we are so thankful that you are truly at work in the lives of all people. And Lord, we are, we are different places just as we are represented by different nationalities and different languages, different cultures. Even this morning, we know that you reach us in different ways. Lord, we thank you for this love, for this grace. Help us. Help us to be like Lydia with an open heart, to, to be like the female slave who will see the power of freedom and help us to be like the jailer who comes to the place where he says, what must I do? How must I trust in you, Lord Jesus? Help us, we pray, and we thank you. In the name of Jesus, amen.